and welcome to another episode of Capsule Rx Podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Dr. Joven Lazo, and I'm with uh, someone who I would say is one of my inspirations, Dr. Bradley Phillips. How are you today? I am doing good, uh, Joven. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, you're one of the people that I've always admired um, when I was a student. Um, you were definitely one of my preceptors while at Advent Health Celebration, and I had a great time with you, spent a little bit of time with you as well during my residency. Uh and I say a little bit because it kind of transitioned into a different job. And so I was kind of wondering if you can kind of start off and provide a brief introduction about yourself and how you started teaching at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get into that, it is from, so uh, Joven was my student and then he was one of my residents. And I cannot tell you how proud I am that you introduced yourself as doctor. Like that <laughs> yep, yep. is just the, like, I, like I have goosebumps that like, holy yeah. cow, like I, I'm hoping that I, I had somewhat of an impact to, to kind of helping you with that, with that transition. So that starting off, that is amazing to hear uh, addressing Thank yourself rightfully. So, you. um, so uh, like Joven was saying, um, I, I graduated from the University of Florida College of Pharmacy in 2018. Uh, I went on to do a PGY-1 um, at Advent Health Celebration. Uh, they have a residency program focused in outpatient services and ambulatory care, how something I'm very passionate about. Then immediately following that year, uh, I was blessed to be in the position that there was an opening uh, at Celebration to step into a preceptor role. Uh, so I finished residency on Friday, and I had a resident uh, that I was responsible for precepting for on Monday. Uh, so I worked at Advent Health Celebration for a couple of years, both precepting uh, rotational students, PGY1, PGY2 residents, uh, while also managing various outpatient clinics. To kind of dig into the transition that you're referring to is, um, as of this last fall, I was working at Celebration, but then I transitioned more into a professor role. Mm -hmm. I really took the time to kind of sit back and realize, you know, what what parts of me can I continue to develop and improve? Um, I'm in a constant state of improvement. And so I was kind of looking to see, you know, what do I feel most passionate about and where can I see myself growing? Um, and, and at Advent Health Celebration, the best part about my job was interacting with patients and, and students. I loved, loved being in the preceptor role. Um, and so one of my previous residents informed me about a professor position at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy at the Orlando campus. I'm saying, hey, I don't know if you're necessarily looking for another job, but, you know, just from the experience that I have with you, I feel like you'd be a very good professor for future students. Um, and a little bit of a background, I'm from Gainesville, Florida. I have two degrees from the University of Florida. Florida. Um, I am the embodiment of somebody who bleeds orange and blue. Um, and so kind of pursuing my passion of precepting and teaching not just individual students, but a class body as a whole, while also being able to give back to the college that made me who I am, it was a, a pretty perfect fit uh, and a great opportunity for me to step into at the start of the last uh, academic year. When I think of a preceptor, like, and this is what today's episode will be about is precepting, um, preceptorship. And when I think of the perfect or ideal preceptor, I think of you. And I don't want any problems with Corey or Tyler because I love you guys too. Because <laughs> I know Tyler's listening. Tyler always lets me know he's listening to the podcast. So Tyler, <laughs> when you listen to this, no, I love you. And you're a great preceptor too. No shots fired, please. Um, but, but Brad, when I think of the ideal preceptor, I always think of you. So that's why I wanted to bring you on today to kind of give what you believe is a great preceptor, kind of your thought process behind that. So that way it can help certain individuals like myself who 
plan on becoming a preceptor. And certain preceptors that are out there to kind of maybe have a different perspective and maybe learn some things from you to help inspire us all to be um, better preceptors. So to start off, um, how would you define a great preceptor? Yeah. And uh, Tyler was my preceptor as well. Fantastic experience. And I'll actually see him in skills lab coming up in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> I, I have not stopped looking at Tyler as a great preceptor. Yes. Um, what I would, what I would consider to be a great preceptor is I, I try to think of the of similar characteristics of somebody who would be a great leader. Uh, to me, a great leader is someone who puts others before themselves and really tries to set others up in the spotlight uh, of success over their own success. Uh, and that's truly what I think a preceptor can do to students that are coming through their rotation or any experience that, that you have with them. I also think a good quality of a preceptor is one who can identify a, a student's strengths and weaknesses and kind of use those in order to kind of play towards their strengths while helping them to either improve or be able to cope with their weaknesses going forward uh, in a career in pharmacy. Uh, I also try to be someone who is very receptive to student feedback. And that's just not necessarily hearing what's not going right in the rotation or, or issues that they have, but taking it a step forward and really incorporating that into how you precept future students. It's an ever evolving world that we live in and precepting is no exception. Uh, lastly, I, like again, I really think you need to be adaptive uh, as different students really have different learning styles and preferences. Uh, I truly believe there is always a way to precept a student, no matter how easy or difficult that student is. It's just a matter of finding out the most effective way and tailoring your precepting style to the needs of that student. Uh, usually that's done through another key skill such uh, such as, you know, just open communication uh, between you uh, as a preceptor and your students. So encompassing all of that, how would you say or what would you say is your preferred preceptor role? Um, I know there's a lot of different things that ASHP mentions, like modeling, coaching, different styles. Um, what would you kind of say is your preferred method and how do you find that style most effective? Yeah. I would go on to say there's not necessarily one that I prefer more than the others, but there's definitely ones that I feel are more rewarding <laughs> mm. than others. So for, so for instance, if we're looking at like the ASHP's uh, preceptors roles, there is uh, direct instruction followed by modeling, coaching, and facilitating. Uh, so if we go into instruction, that's pretty much just setting the groundwork or kind of laying the foundation of that student coming to your rotation. Uh, this is what the step where it really puts the onus of responsibility on the student to fill in any knowledge gaps uh, that might be exposed. Um, so this is where the preceptor has the opportunity to be able to identify and determine what gaps in knowledge are present. Um, and then really, you know, asking the student to review that in order to prepare them for the next role uh, of the experience. Uh, so that takes us into the modeling uh, stage. Mm -hmm. So this is where the preceptor thinks out loud uh, in order to for the student to witness the thought processes that occur uh, from the preceptor standpoint and really more so of a shadowing or observatory role. Now, from being a transition from a student to a resident to a preceptor, this to me is, I feel like, the most difficult step because mm -hmm. sometimes as you get more years under your belt as a pharmacist, a lot of processes do become a little routine um, or second nature to pharmacists. And oftentimes a lot of the clinical thought processes that are going on in your head, they're overlooked and not necessarily voiced to the student. Um, it, it can be pretty difficult to break down these critical thought processes and voice them to the students. Um, however, it's invaluable for them to, to learn from um, and takes a very conscious effort from the preceptor to realize and be cognizant of this. Um, now, 
On the flip side, this is really where I encourage students to not be afraid to speak up and really ask what their preceptor is doing in any ongoing activity, such as if they're reviewing an order, uh, reviewing medication lists, like a lot of thoughts sometimes don't get spoken. And so don't ever hesitate to speak up. So that that to me is I feel like is a very difficult uh, step for preceptors to realize. Uh, so next is the coaching step. So this is where students perform a skill uh, while being observed and the preceptor provides kind of ongoing feedback. Uh, this to me is hands down the most exciting uh, mm -hmm. part of being a preceptor, because this is the step where you really get to see firsthand the student developing uh, their critical thinking skills and transferring all of those knowledge and skills from more of a didactic setting in applying mm -hmm. them into a clinical setting. So this is where you get to see firsthand that student critically thinking and developing and fielding issues that patients would have and pose to them right there on the spot while still being able uh, to be there as kind of a safety net to, to precept those students. So that to me is, is the most exciting part is a culmination of them putting it all together. Um, and lastly is facilitating. Uh, so this is where your, your students uh, perform independent functions and the preceptor is available if needed uh, during or possibly afterwards to debrief on any clinical activities or experiences. This may not be my most exciting stage, but it's by far the most rewarding. Uh, this is really where you get to see all the hard work and effort that your student has invested up until this point come to fruition uh, by having a brief conversation with them to hear their thought processes and, and possibly reviewing their care notes to realize all the great things that your student was able to provide toward, towards the patient in that setting. Um, so I would say modeling is definitely the most difficult. Uh, I would say coaching to me is the most exciting firsthand, uh, but at the end, facilitating is definitely the most rewarding uh, from a preceptor standpoint. Listening to you speak, I believe the reason why I find you as such a great preceptor is because how cognizant you are of the modeling aspect. A lot of preceptors sometimes don't really convey their thought process, or if they do, they may not convey it in a way for a student or resident to understand it, because that knowledge gap that's there, sometimes certain clinical terms, certain acronyms or whatnot can sometimes carry over. And then as a student or as a resident, you don't want to seem dumb and be like, oh, I don't know what that means. So I'll just like yeah. nod my head and, yeah. and go play along with it. Right. And so that's what I think is, is something that's probably very critical to being a great preceptor is really that modeling, which you did say is probably the most difficult because that's yeah. something that we really have to be cognizant of um, every single time we're precepting a student or resident to make sure that they fully understand what's going on here and you're sharing your full thought process and not shortening it at all. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you can also think about it from the other way too, is not, not necessarily, maybe you're not sharing enough information. Maybe you're sharing too much information, mm -hmm. which is another pitfall that I found myself in early on in precepting because I have a big passion for outpatient services. I tell every single one of my students when I get excited about something I'm talking about, which I've probably told you this as well, I talk <laughs> very fast and I talk a lot. That is a weakness of mine that I've constantly been working on since graduating pharmacy school. And so just the value of just kind of breaking up your conversations with your students and just asking them, say, hey, do you have any questions about what we talked so far? Because like you said, sometimes students don't feel comfortable, you know, talking to a preceptor because they expect that they they know what they should be talking mm -hmm. about. So I think that's kind of the flip side, too, is not necessarily just not talking about what you're doing, but on the flip side, kind of be a little bit conscientious of how much you are talking to give that a student an opportunity to interact with you in that setting. Yeah, I completely agree. Going off of that, do you have um, a different style of precepting for students compared to residents? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I, I've always thought in theory, uh, a resident, and I was going to say you'd be the best person to answer this question, considering I've had you both, both a student as a resident. 
is mm -hmm. in theory, a, a resident has learned everything that there is to know about pharmacy, like period. Yeah, I mean, you've gone through anywhere from depending on the college, two to six years in, in school. Um, and so uh, theoretically, a resident has learned everything there is to know about pharmacy. OK, now, will they take that care going forward? No, eventually you'll realize the things that you need to focus on going forward. Um, and so that's that's how I kind of tailor to a resident is, you know, what are the things that in my setting, it's all outpatient services, that's the stuff that you need to be proficient and competent in. And it's my job just to kind of not necessarily teach you new things, but just to kind of knock some of that rust off as, as things that you have at least heard before, read before, or were taught on before. That's kind of my role for the sake of residents. And there are little things that, that I try to help in teaching with. It's not so much like the knowledge based, it's kind of how you act in that clinical setting. Like, how do we develop your soft skills? Like, how do we develop your medical documentation? Like things that you may not have as much of an experience compared to all of the knowledge that was crammed into a resident's head. Um, so that's kind of how my approach is toward, towards residents. And, and for students, it, it really does need to be a tailored experience. Um, and that's something else that I've learned through trial and error is there, it's a lot different precepting a student that is on their first rotation compared to somebody that is ending their rotations with you. There, there's just a different level um, of expectations that you should have as, as well as the student has for themselves. Um, and so, like, for example, I could have a third year student on rotations who's been through the majority of their school curriculum, and I might have them take on a little bit more responsibility by leading a topic discussion compared to a first year student who is just being exposed to pharmacy probably would not have them uh, lead a topic discussion, but more so maybe a facilitated discussion uh, between me and them where they're more so filling in the blank. So kind of having a level of understanding of what that background experience is of the students is a little bit different than residents, which is kind of how I usually have tailored my, my precepting style and expectations uh, for the sake of them. Yeah. And kind of looking at it from my perspective, of course, you had a little bit more knowledge about me being a student, but as a resident, I would say it was a lot more of the soft skills, a lot more of, hey, we understand, you know, a lot of the clinical knowledge. You also just took the NAPLEX. You had to prepare for all of that. So the, the clinical knowledge is there. Maybe it's a couple of things you might need to add in on your patient counseling skills or maybe um, another focus is, you know, I always try to whenever I'm precepting students is let them know, hey, tone and diction and, and how fast are we speaking to our patients? Can we read their body language to see if they actually did interpret and understand what we said? Or are they looking down? Are they not making eye contact? What are these nonverbal cues that we can use to help us determine whether or not the inf these um, the information we're providing to the patient is actually being received? Because that's the key um, in these outpatient services. And that's something I would say I definitely learned um, from you just thinking about it. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> There was a difference. <laughs> and that's an important skill that I learned from my preceptor. Like, for example, um, Dr. Kim Finley, uh, who's the mm -hmm. pharmacist at Advent Health Celebration. Um, she was my preceptor and I was in Transitions of Care Clinic. This is a specific example. And um, I really liked diabetes. I knew she was a head of the diabetes clinic and did all that stuff. So I really wanted to impress her and, and again, show what I knew. Right. So here we were in a transitions of care clinic. And I had a newly diagnosed diabetic patient and I was ready to go. 30, 45 minutes of just straight diabetic counseling. This is how you treat low blood sugars. This is your medication. Like I was on, I felt on top of the world. Like I thought this is exactly what I wanted to do. 30, 45 minutes go by, ask the patient, if they have any questions. They're like looking at me like they have no idea. what. <laughs> and so that's yeah. when, you know, Dr. Finley is a fantastic preceptor. That's where after the visit it was more so where we were in that 
that uh, coaching phase where she thought all the information was great, but did you recognize what happened? And I, and I did. And so she really helped me develop those mm-hmm. soft skills, which is something that I've carried forward as, as I believe is an important aspect for, for preceptors to help students realize. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that story. Now, how would you say you've kind of adjusted your preceptor um, roles or styles over the years to accommodate the different types of students and residents' um, personalities? Because, you know, you have different personalities coming in year after year. And you ha- and if it's um, rotational students, you got that coming in maybe every four, every six um, weeks. And then you have different learning styles, too. You know, some are more um, kinesthetic, some are more visual, auditory. How do you really adjust your style? Because I'm sure it's challenging, right? Because everybody's so different. So how do you go about being able to adjust your style, especially if you have like multiple students or multiple residents that you're precepting? Yeah, that was that was one of the biggest realizations that I had kind of crossing over to that other side of being a student preceptor and a resident preceptor is, is realizing there's not a one size fits all for precepting, you know, what worked for me, I mean, there might be a percentage of students that that worked for them, but that's not all students. And exactly like you said, if I was precepting a group of students, I might have a very talkative student compared to somebody that might be a little bit more shy to communicate. And so how how do you go about giving them a an equal and fair experience if they have you know different comfortability levels? So this is and I feel like this is an area that's that's not really emphasized that much until you experience it. And it's it's most often recognized through experience, uh, both good and bad. Uh, and usually Usually it's most beneficial to recognize it through the bad experiences uh, to be able to tailor your precepting. Um, and one thing that has really helped me is, is establishing expectations. And usually towards the beginning of the experience has definitely helped ease a lot of both preceptor and student um, frustrations. This is really where the, you know, during their very first week before they get too far into the rotation, I really ask, you know, what, what is the best way that I could help you grow in this rotation? You know, what is your preferred learning style? Do you prefer to have topic discussions where it's more of a conversation? Do you prefer to give a presentation? Are you an, an auditory learner, a visual learner? What is the best way that I could help you be successful and get what I need you to get out of this rotation? Okay. Other things that that really have helped me to, uh, questions that have helped me to establish that is, you know, what, what are your expectations? You know, what do you want to get out of this rotation? Because I, oftentimes I think that's overlooked. It's kind of like, if I had a student coming into my outpatient experience, like I'm going to teach you this, 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 and this. Well, what if the student wants something else? You know, what if they want that in addition to, you know, I want to be more comfortable talking to patients. You know, that's not just disease state knowledge. That's a skill that you can help them develop. Um, and other things is, you know, how does the student prefer feedback? Uh, do, do students like to get feedback as soon as they leave that patient room uh, interviewing or, you know, do they like to kind of think about it, you know, self-reflect and then have a little bit more of a guided conversation on how they feel like they did and, and things of like that. So I, I feel like that has helped. Um, but, you know, precepting is an ever evolving world and it continues to evolve. And so, like I said, I, I feel like there's always a way to reach a student. It's just a matter of establishing those expectations uh, early on uh, between what you expect as well as what the student expects that has drastically helped ease frustration um, from, from my experiences. Have you ever come across students that may not have been the most excited about outpatient services? Um, and how did you go about precepting those type of students? Because I'm sure that also um, you also receive those type of students as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and so that's, that's one of the first questions that I ask, you know, what are your, what are your future plans? Like, what do you plan to do after graduation? Um, and that question is 
easily answer differently from somebody starting their rotations to the end. You know, towards the end, you kind of get an idea by that time what you'd want to do. And I tell every single one of my students, I'm going to try my best to convince you to be an ambulatory care pharmacist. Some of them work. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Others, others, not so much, but that, but that's the thing where you, you know, where, where is your headspace at? Do you want to go into industry um, and things like that? So, cause you, you know, your rotations are your rotations. You have a baseline competency assignments, understanding knowledge that that student needs to have, regardless of what their, what their interest is. Okay. And that's, and that's what I tell them. Okay. If I have students that are interested in industry, like, listen, I, I may not be able to convince you to be an ambulatory care pharmacist, but you have a minimum competency exam that are coming up on knowledge that I'm able to help you know going into that examinations for you to achieve that goal of going into yep. industry and stuff like that. So I pretty much say the expectation is, you know, I I have a bare amount of things that I need you to know by the end of this rotation. And I think I think having that establishes that understanding mm-hmm. between me and students that may not be, you know, I really don't like diabetes. That's okay. Do you not like it because you don't want to do that in your future? Or is it an area of weakness? Because if so, you need to be competent in that area because you're about to take a test to make sure that you are keeping diabetic patients safe. And I, and I think students having that understanding is like, Oh, okay. Like, I feel like they buy in a little bit more knowing that that's kind of what I'm trying to get across to them. And, and, and that's a great way of phrasing it because it's really help me help you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm ultimately helping you achieve your end goal, but this is just the path you have to take before you achieve that goal. Yeah. And so help me help you make that path as easy as possible. Otherwise you might struggle. What if that's, you know, you have a lot of ambulatory care or chronic disease states questions on your exam and you don't pass them. And then it's like, maybe you didn't take that rotation as serious. And if you could have, then maybe you would have passed it the first time you not delay uh, becoming a pharmacist and being employed in whatever field you would like to work in. Yeah, exactly. And, and you could really get a feel for like, trying to see there's there's elements of outpatient pharmacy, everything's connected in pharmacy. Yep. And so if, if I had a student, for example, let's say, let's take that example. Let's say I had a student that was interested in industry. Okay. Industry is that you have to have good communication skills that, that you have to. And so that's what I'm able to point out to students while they're on my rotation, communication with preceptors, fellow students, fellow patients, like, Hey, listen, that, that communication that with you, the patient that you just had, it was great. You had empathy, you had good tone, you had good rate. Those are all skills that you can use in a career in industry. Yeah. And, and students are like, Oh yeah, you're right. You know, those are, those are basic skills that I can help you to develop that will help you with those future careers, even if it's not a diabetic patient, you know? So, mm-hmm. so you're right. I, I definitely think that, that students can get a good look at it look, uh, looking from that point of view as well. Perfect. So thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate, I appreciate um, those responses and yeah. And to kind of sum up what you said to me, it sounded like just, and I, I want to sum this up not only for myself, but for, for everybody that's listening that, that is it wants to be a preceptor is aspiring to be one or trying to improve really sounds like you have an open door for communication. And early on, you kind of set the tone to have a very comfortable relationship with your student or your resident to, Hey, you can be completely honest with me. What are your career plans? What are you trying to accomplish here? Because I want to help you accomplish your goals. It's not about me. It's about you. This is your experience, and I want you to make the most of it. So tell me what you're interested in. We have a baseline of things that we have to get through in AmCare. But if there's other things I can help you with, if you're interested in industry, we can really make sure you get as much presentations, as much communication skills in to really help improve um, those skills that would be important whenever you interview for a fellowship or start working in that career. Yep, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you, Brad. Now, only a couple more questions and then you're off the hot seat. Um, <laughs> so what are some of the tools that you use to help improve your, 
your preceptor skills? I would say that that first year where I was a, a, a residency preceptor kind of stepping in, I really relied a lot on my uh, supervisors and those pharmacists that had a lot of experience. Um, and so, for example, my uh, residency program director, um, I had a transition between two of them. And so both of them were, were just that like a wealth of information. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cannot tell you how many times if I had an issue with my resident and I never had this these examples, but let's say if I had a, a resident or a student that was maybe showing up late or had professionalism issues, un, didn't meet deadlines. Like I was never in the position to have those difficult conversations, but I guarantee you, I knew somebody that did. Um, and so I would go to my RPD or my supervisor and say, Hey, how, how would you handle this situation? Okay. And, and not only that, Maybe I already had that situation where, you know, I had that difficult conversation and then I would debrief with my supervisor. Hey, this is what I did. How could I do this better? You know, what are some ways that I could have handled this situation better so that the next time I see it, I'll be better equipped. Um, so that that I think was one of the most valuable resources that I've used. Um, also, students, don't be afraid to ask a student, you know, can you do you mind providing me feedback? I, I don't think students realize the importance of feedback, especially from a preceptor that utilizes that feedback and incorporates it into their precepting going forward. Uh, so I think students are like a direct firsthand uh, resource to utilize. Um, obviously, different uh, informational outlets like podcasts like this. Okay. Uh, there's also different uh, conferences. Like, for example, my first year of precepting, I attended um, ASHP's uh, precepting conference, which had a bunch of great seminars on um, like CV development, uh, identifying residency candidates, interviewing residency candidates and and precepting rotational students. There was just a, a lot that I took away from that experience, which I thought was great. Most importantly, the biggest resource that I've ever used is is really myself. I mean, every, I, I would assume, hopefully everyone has experienced learning from a great preceptor. And most often than not, people have probably had that experience with a preceptor that may have even deterred you from a topic that you thought was interesting. And so everyone's had those good and bad experiences. Like, for example... I did not feel that receiving feedback about possible improvements and weaknesses um, at the end of the rotation uh, was as beneficial as getting it throughout the rotation. So that's something that I've incorporated into my precepting style is really asking the student, when do they prefer feedback? Because some may like it at the end, but some might like it in between. And so I think drawing on those good and bad experiences has really helped me to get a good step forward as to what I feel like the not majority, but some of the needs of those students, but then letting them fill in the gaps on, onto where I can help them from there. Uh, so those are definitely a lot of the of the resources and continuing uh, resources that, that I'm utilizing to improve my precepting abilities. Perfect. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you shared the ASHP seminars. I just wrote that down myself because uh, I was wondering if they had some. I felt like ASHP would. <laughs> if, they, if there yeah. was an organization that did, it would be yeah. that. But um, just because it's, you know, a lot of times we forget like how we learn things and it's mm-hmm. by studying. You just, whether it's reading a book, watching YouTube videos on a topic, whatever the case may be, it's like we learn in that way. And it's the same thing of learning how to be a leader. Some things are innate, um, yeah. learning how to be a preceptor, but sometimes if you're a visual learner, you'll obviously you can watch others, you can shadow and there's also ways for you to maybe attend conferences and, and be in maybe an interactive seminar, or maybe there's some where you're just listening to a speaker talk, or maybe there's a TED yeah. talk and things like that. So HHP um, has some seminars that, that individuals can definitely look up if you're interested in kind of improving your preceptor skills. And I'll try yeah. to find some links and put in the show notes later today. 
Yeah. Which, which not only that, Joe, when you bring up a good point is, is, you know, where do you go to get that information? Like, I, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's not really recognized too much that, you know, when you're a student, and you're a resident, there's a lot of, there's a lot of structure, you know, there mm-hmm. you, you say, Hey, go look at these guidelines. Hey, go read this article. Hey, look at, use this drug source. Like there's a lot of stuff that is guided, but pharmacy doesn't stop at residency. Cause then once you get out of residency, as you well, well know, it's, yeah. Ooh, it's, it's now my job to know where to look. You know, there's yes. nobody telling you where to find that information. So um, so that's where we're really where you can rely on professional organizations, supervisors, colleagues. That's really a good wealth of, of information. That was just a good point that, that you brought up that I, that I definitely wanted to address. Thank you. I appreciate that. For my last question, as a student, resident or a newly working pharmacist, if there was some ways for them to gain preceptor skills, how would you go about recommending that? This is another big thing that I really try to get across to my to my students um, in residence. It's not necessarily tailored to my academic rotations. You know, no matter what field of pharmacy that uh, they decide to pursue, mm-hmm. there is always going to be elements of precepting. There, there just there just is. Um, whether it's you know educating educating patients, um, disseminating knowledge towards students on rotations, even pharmacy techs that work with you, even other pharmacists. There's always that that transfer, communication, dissemination, whatever, <laughs> whatever yeah. Stephen A. Smith you want to use <laughs> is that, that transfer of information from one to yes. another. That, that's what precepting is. It, it's, it's, it's letting somebody else know to kind of get up to speed so that you can work efficiently. Um, and so I, I think students having that understanding really helps uh, them to kind of grasp what we're trying to get across. And so as far as ways to gain preceptor skills, I mean, experience, is definitely a big one. Um, not as helpful to somebody just graduating pharmacy school or going through school. But I would say the biggest thing that's helped me is getting involved. Uh, it is surprising how many mentorship uh, programs there always is. And there's always a need for mentors. Um, and that's, I know, ASHP has one, uh, a ton of professional, every, pretty much every pharmacy professional organization has some kind of mentorship program. Uh, your colleges of pharmacy, I guarantee also has a, um, a mentorship program. Like for example, at UF, uh, we have the career coach program uh, where we pair up a student with a, uh, and they don't even necessarily have to be an alumni of UF uh, with a pharmacist working in the field uh, to kind of help them throughout their the curriculum. And so I would say putting yourself in those kind of positions to recognize that you would like to develop those skills and then seeking out those different opportunities through mentorships, precepting programs like we discussed, um, as well as just, you know, having discussions with those preceptors that have been involved to see where, you know, you can continue to developing your skills there. And something you touched upon, which I never thought about is precepting tech, like basically that disseminating of knowledge, like you touched upon you know, reading the nonverbal or verbal cues, do they understand the directions that you were giving them, the instructions that you were giving them? Do they seem knowledgeable or competent with um, their workflow? And if there's mistakes that they're making, are you able to coach them through it and kind of see um, how to improve them and how to challenge them to, to, to do better in certain areas? And so that's something I never thought about, but that's almost in every profession in pharmacy, you'll have a tech working with you. And that's one, if you don't have any students coming through, if you don't have um, a lot of patients, maybe you're seeing face-to-face, you're probably still working with techs in some type of capacity. And that's something that I never thought. I think that's a great recommendation that try to involve your techs, see if they're interested in learning anything. And that could be um, ones that you start to gain that experience with is precepting your technicians as well. Thank you so much, Brad. So that was it uh, for my questions. Uh, 
I'm so glad I was able to get you on. <laughs> yeah, you're finally off the hot seat. Uh, <laughs> it's been long overdue to get you on the podcast, but I'm glad I've finally been able to get you yeah, on. Here. No, it was painful. It was more of a preheat. It was, it was good. I like, enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. So before I let you go, I just wanted to see if there's anything um, you wanted to ask me or anything you wanted to promote or, or anything like that on my I, platform. I did um, <laughs> for the sake of a, of a shameless plug. Uh, again, the career coach program at UF or really any any university, whatever you graduate from, the people that you learn from, they learn from somebody, they learn from somebody, You, whether you think it or not, somebody can learn learn from you as well. And I definitely think giving back to the profession is a huge plug that I would like to instill on the, on the listeners of this podcast is there's always that opportunity to do so. Um, as far as I did have a question for you now that we're talking is, is, is a big emphasis that I really am trying to focus on for this upcoming school semester is the incorporation of technology and learning. It's, I mean, the world of, of tech is exploding. I mean, day to day it is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think that there is a need for adapting your precepting and teaching abilities with the technology that is available uh, to help our students learn. So I kind of just wanted your thoughts on that. Like, What do you feel like the role of technology is uh, possibly within a college curriculum or, or teaching pharmacy students? I think it's definitely the future. I actually, I actually haven't promoted this article, so maybe this will make me... Uh promote it. Uh, I actually recently wrote an article about that. I'm forgetting his last name. I believe his first name is Jared. He at AmCareRx is his Instagram hashtag. He did a study at, um, I believe he he's a, a teacher at the University of Hawaii um, College of Pharmacy. And he did a study showing how him posting infographics on his Instagram, um, a study of some of his students that actually looked at the infographics compared to other ones who didn't and how that improved their learning over time. And it wasn't like a forced thing. It was more if they were, they followed his page. So if they're scrolling through Instagram, they would find, Oh, here's an infographic on his mm-hmm. coagulation. Then they review this and they scored higher on their tests than um, individuals who didn't. So I think incorporating tech, cause we're all on our phones. We're all on our yeah. iPads. We're all watching TV, having different ways of incorporating infographics into our social media platforms that we use a lot can help to educate you. Cause you could be scrolling through and there's something that I do, which I actually got from you. Um, so credit to you uh, was when I was a student with you, we had um, Tease Back Tuesdays. So yeah. what I what I took from that was on Thursdays on our Instagram at Capsar at CapsRx Podcast, we do uh, Tester Knowledge Thursdays. So we do quizzes on our story, and we always get feedback from other people. Like I feel less guilty being on social media. Yeah. Because when we go to your page, we can do some pharmacy, learn some pharmacy knowledge, and then we can get back to just scrolling. Mm. So it's it's something that is definitely relevant and important, and it helps, I believe, people feel better using technology to review things instead of going to the old-fashioned book. Yeah. A lot of my generation, younger generations, want to get away from just the old-fashioned having a book mm-hmm. and watch either a YouTube video, watch a um, like a, the article that I wrote. I'm, I'm actually forgetting the name on it, but a lot of different things that I used was like Ninja Nerds. Um, yeah. I'm forgetting other YouTube vids that I watch, but they're so colorful and creative that it makes you want to learn more. It makes yeah. you want to be really involved with it. So I think the future is tech. And I think the future is not only tech, but colorful presentations, interactive things. And that's where I believe the future of learning is going. I feel, for example, in my class specifically, once Kahoot was added, mm-hmm. I felt we were more interested in class. Mm-hmm. Having those Kahoot questions, having technology be incorporated with just, all right, 
we yeah we read our chapters we watched our our videos now we're going to go in and there'll be a couple questions and this that, and the third but having that interactive component um i see tech playing a big role with yeah no i I like how you you emphasize it being interactive because i mean that's really the the glass half full half you know half empty Mm -hmm. situation with technologies you're right you have you have a lot of students that are you know on their phones on their laptops which is great i mean there's so much opportunity for that but how does that hurt you for the sake of student engagement? You know, are they, mm-hmm. are they actually engaging in the activity that you're learning or are they dozing off on other technology issue, issues and social media and stuff like that? So, so I agree. I, I think it's a matter of finding that good balance of, you know, what can I utilize to keep my students engaged while also putting the best foot forward to get them a great learning experience as well. So I just wanted your, your thoughts on that. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And that's something that I, I believe the more tech can be incorporated into the school setting, the better outcome it's going to be for students. Mm-hmm. Because it is like, I personally, I love reading a book, but almost everybody I know, they read off a of Kindle, they read yeah. off their, their iPad. So it's, it's so hard to get people to just do the typical things. Maybe you we were talking about this earlier. Like maybe you have like interactive meme or something. You have to have mm-hmm. something to draw, draw the yeah. audience in because within my article, I also touched upon how, there has been studies that have shown the attention span has gone shorter and shorter, shorter over the years. So having that shorter attention span, you're not really being as tuned in. You're not being drawn in. Mm-hmm. So you need something to draw in the next generation oh, um, to and, everything that's going on. Yeah. And be relatable. I mean, the best, I mean, to make, to establish that connection, to establish that relationship, it, it's helpful to be relatable uh, in one way or another to adapt as long as they are. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to share? No, no, that was that was pretty much it. Um, I mean, the last thing was just thanking you. I I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk to you again. Uh, honestly, uh, honestly, I cannot tell you how proud I am of you thank and you. everything that you have achieved. Honestly, um, but yeah, no, thank you for having me on, on your podcast. I think things like this are are invaluable. And from listening to your other podcasts and your other speakers, again, just so so much that it's helping the, the profession of pharmacy. And I really do encourage uh, people to continue listening because I do think it is very, very beneficial and helpful. It means <laughs> it means the world uh, to hear that coming from you. And, and you know, I always tell our, our colleagues that we never know who listens. We see the numbers, so we know people listen, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we don't know who. So we always appreciate it whenever we get compliments or any type of feedback to improve and um, to better ourselves. And it's just exciting to hear like one of the people you look up to is <laughs> proud of the work that you did. So that means the world to me. So thank you, Brad. Of course, of course, definitely well-deserved.